It has been a magical, magical ride. But Wednesday marked the end of an incredible 2022 Baltimore Orioles season. And I'll recap their final two games of the year in Wednesday's doubleheader and look back on some stats that really define what was the season that started to put this Orioles team in the right direction. That's all coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Thursday, October 6th, 2022, and welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb. And coming up on today's episode, we're going to recap the final two games of the 2022 Orioles season as they split a doubleheader with the Toronto Blue Jays on Wednesday afternoon to finish the year 83 and 79. I'll get you the five things you need to know from each of those two doubleheader games. And then at the end of the pod, we'll take a look at five stats that defined the 2022 Orioles season as we look back on a great year and look forward a bit to what's to come in the offseason and in 2023. But that's all coming up on this episode of the Locked on Orioles podcast. And before we get to all this O's talk here on the final day of the season, just want to thank you for making Locked on Orioles your first podcast listen of the day all year long. We're free and available on all podcast listening platforms, and we're still Monday through Friday, five episodes a week. Sorry about this week, was not able to get out a Wednesday episode, but I'll have an episode today and tomorrow here on the pod, and five days a week throughout the playoffs. Come November, the pod goes down to three days a week. Generally, we'll be posting Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, but we'll still have off-season content all the way up until spring training next February. We'll be back to five days a week and back into a season that, well, hopefully will be the Orioles competing truly all year for a playoff spot. But I thank you again for making Locked On Orioles your first listen of the day all season long. And it was a fun season for the Orioles. And unfortunately, it came to an end on Wednesday. Now we knew on Saturday officially that the O's would not be going to the postseason, which meant Wednesday was going to be the final day of the year. And it actually kind of ended up being an anticlimactic final day of the season because not only were all the playoff teams clinched by Monday in Major League Baseball, but all the seeding was clinched by Tuesday. So teams came into Wednesday, there were 16 games on the schedule, and nobody had anything to play for across baseball on the final day. Of course, the O's and Blue Jays got rained out Tuesday. I still have no idea why they decided to play a doubleheader Wednesday. The game didn't mean anything to either team. You just cancel the one game, you play the one game Wednesday, and each team finishes with one less game on their schedule. I'm not sure why they did it, but they did. And that's where we will start today. Get you the five things you need to know from those two doubleheader games. And we'll start with game one of the doubleheader, the good one for the Orioles, as they won that one five to four. And the first thing you need to know is that Taron Vavra's first career home run, well, came at a pretty cool time for Vavra. Of course, it comes on the final day of the regular season here in his rookie year, and it was a big-time homer. Vavra came up with two on and two out in the bottom of the eighth inning, with the Orioles trailing this one 4-2. to two. 
And he got a pitch to hit from Mitch White, the right-hander for Toronto, and he drove it into the flag court in right field for a three-run home run to give the Orioles a 5-4 lead in the eighth inning. Hit at 102.4 miles an hour off the bat, traveled 357 feet for his first big league dinger, and it gave the O's the lead that they would not give up. And Vavra on the day did have two hits, a single and that homer. Did finish his year with an 0-4 in game two of the doubleheader, but for Taron Vavra, some promising things went on in his first, you know, obviously abbreviated big league season. Ends up with a 677 OPS, hit 258 on the year for the Orioles. Played some second, played some left field. And uh, it'll be interesting to see. We'll talk about him much more this offseason, where he falls in to the Orioles' plans moving forward. And game one of this doubleheader was a big game of firsts. Because the second thing you need to know is that Brian Baker picked up his first career save in this game as well. After Vavra hit the three-run homer to give the Orioles the lead, Baker came out there in the top of the ninth inning and just set his former team down 1-2-3 with a couple of strikeouts. Took him just 10 pitches to pick up his first save and clinch the 5-4 victory for the Orioles. And he just went out there. And you know Baker certainly has some history with the Blue Jays, obviously playing there. And with them this year, of course, his uh, you know motion back to the dugout back in early September had the benches clear at Camden Yards between these two teams. But Baker does get the last laugh, at least individually, in this matchup this year as he throws a 1-2-3 ninth inning as he got three whiffs on his fastball in the inning to help him with a couple of strikeouts and gets the pop out to end it. And for Brian Baker, I mean, what a way to end his season. I mean, a lot of people were jumping as far as they could off the Brian Baker train here, but he was absolutely dominant down the stretch for the O's. He has 100% secured himself a spot in the 2023 Orioles bullpen because just how nasty he became down the stretch. It was 12 consecutive scoreless appearances for Brian Baker to end his season. He had a 1.35 ERA in September it was it was fun to watch. I mean, his last two appearances, the two in October, three innings, no base runners, seven strikeouts. Unhittable. Brian Baker down the stretch. Third thing you need to know from this one as we stay on the pitching side, Mike Bauman pitched into the sixth inning for the first time in his careers. He made his final start of the season going five and a third innings, allowing four runs on nine hits. He struck out four, walked one, and allowed one home run and threw 84 pitches. He finishes the big league season with a 4.72 ERA, allowed six hard hit balls in this one. And it was kind of another classic Mike Bauman start. You know, he lets a couple of base runners on and gives up a run in the top of the second inning. Then he kind of settles in a scoreless third, a scoreless fourth, a scoreless fifth. Not a lot of strikeouts, though. And the Orioles send him back out in the sixth inning for the first time to get on with one out. There's a mound visit. Bauman stays in the game, and unfortunately, he gives up a home run to Gabriel Moreno, one of the Blue Jays' top prospects. The catcher hits a three-run homer to put Toronto up 4-0 and chase Bauman from the game. But I thought, you know, up until that home run, I thought he had pitched well. I thought it was a strong way for him to end his season. He got eight whiffs on 41 swings, three on his fastball, which was its usual 95-97. He got three on his slider, two on the curveball. I thought he mixed his pitches well. And again, it's going to be tough for Mike Bauman going into next year to find a spot in this Orioles rotation, especially if they add the rotation from the outside, whether it be a signing or a trade like I hope 
and think they will this offseason. So maybe he ends up in more of a bullpen role, but I think he will have a spot on the big league roster next year, at least by opening day, because he can pitch out of the bullpen as well. I think he has stuff that translates to the pen. He's just got to figure out how to get a little more swing and miss out of some really good stuff, and that's certainly something he'll work on this offseason. Fourth thing you need to know from this one is that D.L. Hall also finished his season strong in Game 1 on Wednesday, pitching the eighth inning, and while he did allow two hits, he had two strikeouts with no walks, got a big strikeout swing of Rymel Tapia with runners on second and third and two down to end the inning. Took him just 19 pitches, and obviously the big number is the zero walks. That's what you love to see from D.L. Hall, and the stuff was continuously electric, 95-97 with the fastball. The changeup, once again, looked unhittable, and this was probably the best slider we've seen from Hall. Now, he only threw it four times, but he got two swings and misses, and he got one called strike, and the other slider was a ball put in play. So he was all around the strike zone with the slider, and you know his fastball was right there velocity-wise. That's just a good ending by D.L. Hall. He finishes his season with four straight scoreless outings out of the bullpen, four and a third, five hits, no runs, eight Ks, and one walk over that stretch for D.L. Hall. I still think he's a starter going into spring training next year, but at least we know... He can do this out of the bullpen. And the fifth and final thing you need to know from this one is that Ryan Mountcastle had one last hurrah for his season. Mountcastle did not play in game two of the doubleheader, but had a three for four in game one. Now, all three hits were singles. None of them drove in any runs, and actually none of them were hard hit balls. So Mountcastle getting a little lucky to get the three hits in game one of this doubleheader. And with that, Mountcastle ends what was... Kind of an odd season for him. I mean, he was so hot in the first half, was ice cold in the second half, heated up in September a bit. He'll finish with a 250 average, a 728 OPS on the season. I would say a little bit of a disappointing season for Ryan Mountcastle, but he was the unluckiest hitter by far in this Orioles lineup this year. The underlying batted ball data, you know, a lot of his hard hit percentages, he's in the 97th, 98th percentile of all of Major League Baseball in terms of the quality contact he makes. He just gets unlucky. Hits the ball into fielder's gloves hard a lot of the times, and hopefully that changes for him next season, and his season looks more like it did in 2021. But nice for him to have a three-hit day to end the year. Ended up with six games of three or more hits this season. He had four three-hit games and two four-hit games on the year. And hopefully, obviously, Mount Baltimore you know, took away some of his power, but hopefully we see the home runs come back a little bit more next year. As well, But of course, the big home run in this one, as I mentioned, was Taron Vavra in the eighth inning, and the Orioles took game one by a score of 5-4. to four. It got him to 83 wins, but it would be the 83rd and final win of the 2022 season for the Orioles as they turned around and dropped game two of the doubleheader. And coming up next, I'll recap game two, which also ended up being the final game of the 2022 season for the Baltimore Orioles. And I'll get you the five things you need to know from that one. But first, got to tell you about betonline.net. It's your number one spot for all your Major League Baseball betting info this season. We got the playoffs coming up tomorrow. Four games Friday, four games Saturday, potentially four games on Sunday. The wild card round all weekend. It's going to be fun. You can get all the odds and the lines at betonline.net. 
Net. But of course, this weekend going to be dominated by baseball, but you're still going to have a college football slate on Saturday, an NFL slate on Sunday and Monday as well. And BetOnline.net is still your number one source for all your football betting as well. From the latest player developments, matchups, news, podcasts, in-depth articles and analysis on every game out there. And they've got live betting and they've got up-to-the-minute scores for every sport as well. It's all your sports wagering info. So head to betonline.net or use your mobile device to learn more. That's BetOnline, where the game starts. So the Orioles got the W in game one of the doubleheader 5-4 on Wednesday, but in the final game of their season, they were not so fortunate, falling 5-1 in game two of the doubleheader against the Blue Jays to finish the year at 83-79. And I'm going to get you the five things you need to know from the Orioles' final game of a magical 2022 season. And the first thing you need to know is that, well, Kyle Stowers at least went out on top in this season. Kyle Stowers did not play in game one, but got the start in right field and hit fourth in the Oriole order in game two. And he drove in the only run for the O's. It was an RBI double in the sixth inning that scored Jesus Aguilar, who had doubled right before him and tied the game at one in the bottom of the sixth inning of this one. It was a good-looking swing from Stowers, who, although he only had the one hit on the day in a one-for-four, did have three hard-hit balls, was really the only Oriole who had any kind of solid offensive day. I mean, Aguilar did have two hits in this game, but the O's, as a team, only had seven hard-hit balls in this game. They had just one run on four hits, but it was nice to see Stowers get that double. Finishes with a 253 average and a 724 OPS in his first, you know, very abbreviated big league season. And I expect him to, unless there's some sort of trade to get some top line starting pitching he's involved in, I expect him to be on this Orioles roster come opening day of next season. Second thing you need to know from this one is that Spencer Watkins finished out his year with an ability to just hang his hat on a lot of improvements in 2022. Watkins ended up getting the start here in game two of the doubleheader. Orioles deciding not to give Jordan Lyles one more start this year, and Watkins goes three and a third. He was going on a little bit short rest, so we knew he wasn't going to pitch too deep into this game. But three and a third, he allowed one run on two hits, three strikeouts, and two walks through 55 pitches, just five hard hit balls. And Watkins finishes 2021 with a 4.70 ERA, and that's really only because he had a really tough September and October. But for Spencer Watkins, even with you know a really tough end to his season. It was still an immense improvement from 2021 when he had an 8.07 ERA in the big leagues with the Orioles after they had signed him to a minor league contract. Now, in this one on Thursday, Watkins was just in there to you know get maybe three to four innings for this Orioles staff. He did pick up five whiffs on 29 swings. He mixed his pitches as we've seen him do all year, just didn't have a super short leash. And for Watkins... I don't see a scenario where he breaks camp with the Orioles as a starting pitcher in their rotation. I really don't see a great scenario where he breaks camp with the team at all. But what I will say, you know, Watkins will be a free agent again because he was on another minor league deal this season. If he's willing to come back to the Orioles on another minor league contract, which would get him an invite to spring training, I think I would love to have him in AAA again next year as some minor league depth, the guy who can get called up for a spot start. He can come up and be your long man in your bullpen for a couple weeks if you need him. He definitely showed improvements. He added that sweeper slider. It made him much more effective on the mound at the big league level this year. And I just think he's a useful piece to have his depth again. 
I'm not slotting him into any rotation spot for 2023, but I still think he'd be useful to at least have back in the system if him and the Orioles are open to it next year. Third thing you need to know from this one, sticking on the pitching side, is Yenier Cano at least did end his season on a high note. Of course, Cano, the right-hander who was one of the four pitchers who the Orioles acquired from the Minnesota Twins in the Jorge Lopez trade at the deadline, had a really, really rough first two big league appearances with the Orioles. His first one back in early September, he gave up six runs in an inning and two-thirds against Boston. His second one came on Monday night. He gave up a run and loaded the bases in the eighth inning and only didn't give up more because the skies opened up and a rain delay came and the game was just ended right there. So Cano didn't have a chance to give up anymore. But he pitches again on Wednesday and was actually really effective. Goes two plus innings, allowing a run on one hit, three strikeouts and no walks on 30 pitches for Cano. Just two hard hit balls against him. And this was the guy we saw in September in Norfolk. He was almost unhittable for the tides down the stretch. So the O's called him up and gave him one more shot in the bullpen at the end of the year. And, you know, he was tossing that sinker in there for strikes. He had the slider going a bit. He did get one whiff on his changeup. He was fastball heavy. 20 of his 30 pitches did go to his sinker on Wednesday. But he was more effective going fastball heavy. So maybe that's the plan moving forward for Cano. But it was good to know that at least he can get out some some big league hitters and he'll be in the mix to make the Oriole bullpen out of spring training next year. Fourth thing you need to know as we stick in the bullpen, it was not a good finish to the season, unfortunately, for Dylan Tate, who was just so, so important to this Orioles bullpen this year, but a rough outing to end his season. He goes just two-thirds of an inning in this one, allowing two runs on no hits, but he walked three batters and did not strike out anyone, throwing 22 pitches in this game and just could not find the strike zone in this one. Dylan Tate of those 22 pitches got just one whiff. He was heavy on the sinker. It was in the strike zone, but he had no feel for the changeup or the slider really in this final appearance of the season. His velocity was significantly down as well. And you could kind of tell just down the stretch, Dylan Tate was just kind of worn out. And that was the case for a lot of this Orioles bullpen, which stumbled a little bit in September and October. And really that was the case for a lot of this Orioles team. They were just tired. I mean, you look at Dylan Tate, you know, a lockdown go-to setup man all year, ends up allowing at least one run in five of his final seven appearances out of the Oriole bullpen this year. Just ran out of gas, I think. You know, he threw not that many more innings, six more innings this year, ended up throwing 73 and two-thirds innings this year versus 67 and two-thirds innings in 2021. So he pitched a little bit more, five more games, six more innings this year. But I just think he ran out of gas because a lot more of the appearances this year were more pitches. They were much higher leverage spots, obviously, than most of his appearances were in 2021 with the games mattering a lot more. And those higher leverage pitches and higher leverage innings take a bigger toll on your body and on your arm than you know an inning does when you're losing 6-1, to one in the eighth inning of a random July game in 2021. So it's going to take more out of you. And it seemed like Tate was one of those guys who was just, he was burnt out by the end. He really needs this offseason, but I certainly expect him to be a big piece of the Oriole bullpen going into next year. But you know, the Orioles had a little bit of struggles in this final game. Offense wasn't quite there, and they end up losing 5-1 to one to finish their season 83-79 and 79 as they split the doubleheader with the Blue Jays. They end up going 9-10 and 10 
against Toronto in the season series this year. Pretty respectable against a very good Blue Jays team. And again, that ends their season at 83 and 79. But the fifth and final thing you need to know from this loss is that what happened right after the game ended when Jorge Mateo grounded out to first base to end the game and end the 2022 season for the Orioles, it was a really special moment at Camden Yards. The fans there got up, gave a standing ovation to the Orioles. The Orioles all came out of the dugout and faced the fans and kind of gave a tip of the cap and a standing ovation right back and what a year it was for the Orioles. They drew over 1.3 million fans this year, way up from 2021, and was their best number since 2017, the last time they were playing some winning baseball. And I just think things are turning around. Things are certainly turning around for Baltimore. It was a magical, incredible season. They deserved that standing O. The fans deserved a standing O as well. It was just fun to see that's how that season ended. And obviously, we all would have loved to see the season end in the postseason. We'd love to be previewing a wild card series right now that the Orioles would theoretically be starting tomorrow. But at 83 and 79, what a year, what a season, what a turnaround. And as Michael Elias said, it is liftoff from here. But coming up next to finish off the pod, we'll take a look back briefly at this 2022 season, get you five stats that really define this campaign for the Baltimore Orioles. So the O's split the doubleheader with the Blue Jays to finish 83-79 and 79 in this really, really positive 2022 season. And just wanted to look at some stats that kind of defined this year for the O's, who came out of nowhere to be in a wild card race down the stretch and compete for a playoff spot. The Orioles finished seventh in the American League. They were the first team out of the playoffs in the AL. That's above the White Sox, who had this great roster and, you know, won the AL Central last year. That's above the Twins, who made big splashes in free agency and at the trade deadline and led the AL Central for most of the year. That's above teams like the Angels, who literally employ Shohei Otani and Mike Trout. They had a better record than the San Francisco Giants, who won over 100 games last year. I mean, the Orioles just had a great, great season, especially compared to expectations. But want to get you five stats that really define this Orioles season. And the first stat is plus 31. That is the Orioles' win difference from 2021 to 2022. The Orioles finished 52 and 110 back in 2021 and turned that into an 83 and 79 season this year. 31 more wins this season. The O's became the first team since 1899. So in my estimation, they're the first team ever for baseball that counts to go from having 110 or more losses one season to a winning season with 83 or more wins the next year. Basically the first team ever to do it. An outstanding turnaround for the Orioles. Now, I don't think they're going to win 31 more games next year. You do that math, uh, that would put them at 114 wins. Not sure if that is in the cards for the Orioles, but it should be uh, a continued steady increase for the O's from here. Second stat you need to know from this season that explains this year, 3.97. That was the Orioles' team ERA this year. And while that was good for 17th in baseball, so, you know, right around the midpoint, middle of the pack, the O's had a 5.85 ERA last year, which was by far the worst ERA in baseball. So to go from 30th to 17th in ERA and cut almost two runs off your team ERA... That is a huge, 
step in the right direction for this Orioles pitching staff. And it should only get better next year as a lot of these pitchers were rookies. They will learn more. They will hopefully get better. And you will start to add from outside the organization, trade for guys, free agent signings that should make that ERA into the top half of baseball, maybe a top 10 team, especially with the new wall in Camden Yards next season. The third stat to explain this season is 3.49. That was the Orioles' bullpen ERA this year. That was a bullpen ERA that actually did kind of tank a bit down the stretch. They were under three for most of the season, but still finished ninth in bullpen ERA until basically September. Before September, the Orioles spent the entire year in the top five in bullpen ERA in baseball. And that was with almost all new faces in this bullpen. Really the only guy who was a holdover from last year all year was Dylan Tate, who we just talked about. All these other great pieces, whether it be moving Jorge Lopez to the pen before they traded him, obviously Felix Bautista, CNL Perez, Brian Baker, you know, even some guys who had different levels of success like Nick Vespi and Joey Crable and Keegan Aiken, all of these guys pitching in new roles out of this bullpen. And it became the weapon that kept this O's team in a playoff race all year. And the bullpen's going to look different next year. I think you can pretty much set in Felix Bautista, Dylan Tate, CNL Perez, and Brian Baker going into 2023. But other than that, you know, a lot of spots are up for grabs and the O's will turn more starters into relievers. They will claim more guys on waivers. Maybe they'll sign a veteran reliever to add to this bullpen. So it will look a little different, but hopefully it can continue to look different and get better every year as the O's seem like they uh, have been pretty good at assembling a really good bullpen. Fourth stat that explains this season for the Orioles is 38. That is, they had 38 defensive runs saved as a defense this season. That was the ninth best in all of baseball. And if you look at most of the kind of advanced defensive stats on fan graphs and baseball savant, the general consensus is the Orioles had a top 10 team defense in 2022. How does that compare? Well, again, 38 defensive runs saved this year. The Orioles had a negative 30 defensive run saved in 2021. That was 24th in all of baseball. A lot of this has to do with Jorge Mateo. You know, you insert a shortstop who really could win the gold glove at short in the American League. That's how great he was. You still have Cedric Mullins out there playing a gold glove center field. And then you get big improvements from some guys. I mean, Ryan Mountcastle improving vastly defensively at first base. As much as you want to hate on him, Rugnet Odor made the Orioles better defensively at second base. Obviously, Adley Rutschman took the O's from one of the worst defensive catching teams to one of the best defensive catching teams. That will help. Austin Hayes staying healthy made this defense better. Anthony Santander, it wasn't great, but he, he wasn't as bad as he was last year in the outfield, which certainly helped. And then at third base all year, you basically had a guy, no matter who was there, who could really pick it, whether it was Ramon Arias, who played a gold glove third base this year, whether it was Kelvin Gutierrez early in the year, didn't really have a bat, but was great defensively, or whether it was Gunnar Henderson late in the year, showed that he could play every infield position at a high level. The O's just made so many less errors put together so many more great defensive plays and across the board were so much better defensively. And that helps, you know, all these ERA and pitching numbers that I talked about going down and a strong team defense is so important for a team moving forward, especially a team that plays in now a pitcher's ballpark and what an improvement it was for the Orioles defense. And the final stat to explain this season, 
67 and 55. That was the Orioles' record after they promoted Adley Rutschman to the big league ball club. 67 and 55. They were 16 and 24 when they called Adley up back in mid-May. And they went 67 and 55 down the stretch with Adley. You put that winning percentage across a full season, that's an 89 win pace. That's an 89 and 73 team. The Tampa Bay Rays, the final wildcard winner, they had 86 wins this year. So that is a playoff team with Adley in there. And you look forward to next year and you think, well, you're going to have Adley for a full season and hopefully for many, many, many full seasons to come. You're going to add to the talent around him as well. You got more top prospects ready to come to the big leagues. It is exciting to look forward at what the O's could look like in 2023 and beyond. But it's really exciting to, to keep looking forward. They're going to be better and better and better, and they're going to compete for a playoff spot next year. But make sure to stop yourself and just appreciate what this 2022 season was. Because you look at what the Astros did. You know, you remember their 2015 season where they won 86 games and kind of surprised everyone by getting to the playoffs. Then they missed the postseason in 16. Then they won the World Series in 17. Many people are talking about this season being kind of like the Astros 2015 season. But if you remember, the Astros had kind of a middle point where, you know, they won 50 games, then they won 70 games, then they won 86 games. The Orioles went from 52 to 83 wins in one season. As I talked about, nobody's really made a jump that good. So appreciate what the O's gave us this year and how fun it was to watch a winning baseball team on the field this season. And coming up on the pod over the next couple of weeks, I'll continue to look back at this Orioles season and really appreciate just how great it was. But we'll also look forward into what could be next for the O's. But what's next on this podcast is one more episode this week coming up tomorrow. It's our playoff preview here on Locked On Orioles. I'll give my playoff picks for the MLB postseason and the Orioles fan rooting guide to the 2022 MLB postseason. We'll look at the Orioles connections on each of the 12 teams in the playoffs and tell you, hey, if you're looking for a team to root for, who you should pull for if you want to see some Orioles connections, some former Orioles end up with a ring at the end of the season. But that's all coming up on tomorrow's episode. Until then, I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.